This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks, we are going to be talking about the effects of the slowdown that we're seeing in economic growth in America, in China and also in Europe. So this slowdown is uh, ostensibly due to the effects of of COVID, uh, maybe the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, inflation, and so on. So we're going to talk about uh, what what companies are experiencing and what effects uh, we're seeing out there, some of the tactics and strategies um, that companies are using to respond and maybe come up with some recommendations for the future. So to discuss this topic, I'm delighted to be joined again by my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. And they are uh, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, who's President and CEO of Trans Leadership Inc. from Colorado Springs in the state of Colorado. So welcome, Karen. Great. Thank you, Patrick. Delighted to be here again. Also, Diane Garcia, president of Lorraine Consulting, um, based in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome, Diane. Yeah, good morning. Thank you, Patrick. And Elizabeth Warren, president and CEO of Dialin Partners, based in San Pedro in the greater Los Angeles area. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Patrick. Glad to be here. Um, so let's see, what uh, are you guys seeing uh, going on at the moment. I, I, I read a lot about uh, the slowdown in the in the US. I heard recently that there had been two successive um, quarters of negative growth, which in lots of places is defined technically as a recession, although not so in the US. But it seems to be there's a slowdown recession or whatever. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll go to, to each one of you in turn. So, Karen, what are, what, what are you seeing? What, what, how is that manifesting itself or is it manifesting itself? I think that we're still seeing a lot of the same issues and challenges that we've been seeing for a while when it came down to even just the supply chain availability. For example, the cost of goods is still high for people. There's a lot of unavailability for materials or products that people need. There's still a huge talent crisis, being able to get the right people to come to your company at the right time which means people don't have all the workers they need to get the jobs done. And then there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty because in the U.S. they are predicting this recession. But what's not clear is who's really going to be most affected by the recession and what actions people should take to prepare for it, because there are some mistakes that people can make and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. It is it is strange because normally when there's a recession or there's a slowdown, um, unemployment is is rising. Um, people can't find jobs, but at the moment, companies can't find people for the jobs they have. And also, um, there's often a, a glut of of inventory as well. That there's too much stuff in the in the supply chain, and we don't have that either. We have shortages of stuff. Um, so it's a kind of a strange one, isn't it? Um, Diane, what are you what are you seeing out there? Well, I definitely agree on the talent shortage. My clients are facing that uh, week after week. Uh, some are still struggling keeping, you know, their 
their positions filled or finding talent, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, hiring and then don't necessarily have the right people in every spot once they have new demands and new products that come forward, or they just can't find anybody to fill the spot. And so they're struggling to, you know, wear many hats. Um, but I do think that clients are, are starting to worry about things like inventory, like you're talking to, do we have too much? Do we, are we prepared for, for what's to come? Uh, most of my clients are still really, really busy. And so, like you said, it's kind of a strange one because everybody's still trying to, you know, meet such a significant demand, but at the same time, a little bit worried about things slowing down. So we're to six months sleep them from now and mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, rush, rush, rush yet be prepared for maybe an abrupt stop here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was listening to some uh, local economists. So you, you, you guys are all in, in the US and I'm, I'm here in Europe in well, a corner of Europe. So I'm, I'm here in Ireland and a local uh, economist talking about um, the, the likelihood of a, of a recession. So he's not, he wasn't um, necessarily saying that there wouldn't be one, but that it might be quite um, gradual and and shallow and probably of, of short duration. And, and the fact that inventories are, are probably um, low and there's high demand for um, people and there's still high demand in, in the economy for services and for, for products, that it's a, a kind of a slowdown that's been forced by some extraordinary events, but that the fundamentals of the economy are much better than, say, they were in 2008, um, where, for example, right here in Ireland, we had what's called um, a balance sheet recession, where we had basically a property bubble uh, and a debt crisis, and that's that's not the case this this time around, because when you have when you have a property bubble and a debt crisis like we had, it takes many many years for that to work through. Whereas what we're experiencing at the moment is probably, unless there's another surprise which we can't rule out, um, is probably likely to to work through relatively um, quickly. So, um, Elizabeth, what are what are you noticing? What are you seeing? In uh, Southern California, our ports here at the ports of LA and Long Beach take the, the vast majority of the cargo that comes in to the U.S., a cargo, uh, containerized cargo, and they're still at record rates. So we're still seeing the cargo coming in and no place to put it. Uh, but on the other hand, as has as has been mentioned, there's an excess of inventory. So we're kind of in a flux right now of uh, too much inventory, uh, possibly discounted inventory coming soon. Uh, a lot of things going on sale just in order to, to move that cargo out in order to make room for uh, the holidays because we're getting typically July is when all of our holiday inventory is coming in. So we've got to make room for the Christmas season in all the warehouses. So we've got to move that cargo out. So it is a mixed bag as you know, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. I've heard the same thing as you, Patrick, that uh, uh, a recession is kind of, is imminent and it, it's going to happen, but hopefully it's going to be shallow and, mm. and uh, not as severe. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting as well. In the in, in the US, um, the Fed has been quite aggressive in raising interest rates, isn't that right? And and that has the effect of sucking investment into the US. So there's a lot of money heading uh, the way of the US, which is bad for countries like you know Sri Lanka or Lebanon, where you know um, uh, money is flowing out of those places and into 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 the US. So you 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 would think fundamentally that the US economy would be relatively robust. And I would imagine, like as as here. Because of the lockdowns, because people weren't able to go out and consume, people in America must have built up their savings, right? Um, there, there has been some buildup. And uh, you get the messages every day on television you know, to, to please spend. If you have the money to spend, please spend it. Mm, please mm. spend it on, on experiences like restaurants and, and entertainment. Um, to please travel if, if you can, because all of that, those services, uh, still are you know contributing to the economy. Uh, so yeah. we're, we are hearing if you've got it, spend it if you can and and uh, help support uh, the economy. so so we if we do have a recession, then it's not going to be as severe as in the past. yeah, well, there there is a thing about spending money now because inflation is is high, so there's no doubt about that. Um, that you know your 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 dollar today is probably going to be worth ten percent more than the dollar next year. So if you have it now, perhaps invest it in something productive, whether that's in your own development or whether it's in um, machinery or technology for your business. It would seem to make sense if you do have money to at least invest part of it in something tangible like that that will. Um, set you in good stead for the for the future. Um, interesting as well about um, the, the 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 interest rate rise in the U.S. because the European um, Central Bank hasn't um, or or hadn't it, it has lately begun to raise interest rates, but the Fed started sooner and was much more aggressive. So what's happened is the um, uh, the dollar has appreciated and the euro, which used to be worth I don't know, a dollar fourteen, maybe only a few weeks ago, is now at parity or maybe slightly less than the uh, than the dollar. And I noticed when I was on vacation in in France, there were lots of Americans in France on vacation. So their dollar, they're getting like fifteen percent extra bang for every buck uh, they spend in Europe. So maybe it's the time for you guys to come over here and have a vacation. <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I know some of those places on your bucket list, uh, Elizabeth, yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. 93.9 Dublin South FM. What tactics or strategies uh, are companies now putting in place to deal with the with the situation and with the um, the uncertainty? Karen, what are you what are you seeing? You know, let me talk about what I'm recommending that my companies do, because with the personnel shortages, they're running so fast on the hamster wheel. They're not always thinking about what they should be doing. And I remind them that the predicted recession can be different from business to business. So some of my clients who thought that they were going to go under during the pandemic, they actually grew and got more business because 
the products that they were producing were needed more at that time. And so one of the things I, I try to stem is the behavior that's irrational, that's driven by fear. And I'll give a little example from the past and then bring it to the future, to the present, which is back in the Great Depression, a lot of people were afraid that their money was not safe in the bank. So everybody ran down to the bank to try to get their money. And this forced the banks to fail. And so you have to really help people understand that you don't act until it's time to act. And so some people could prematurely get rid of people that are hard to recruit later, especially really skilled labor. So I'm talking to them about how to retain their good people, how to use their data so that they're seeing what are the products and services that they're producing that are profitable right now. They have to do some future forecasting and think about if certain things do happen in the marketplace, what are customers going to need and what are they going to want and what are they willing to pay for? And also what are, let's say my clients able to do in a value added way so that others are not able to easily copycat that and the other companies may not provide that extra value. So if I think back to the Great Depression, again, there was a feed and seed company. And what they did, not only did they sell the seed to the farmers, they also sold a fertilizing it automatically came with it. They would fertilize the crop and then they also sold consultation with it to make sure the farmers would have a higher likelihood of their crops being successful. So you have to think innovatively and creatively about what would reduce risk for the customers and clients and have them inclined to see you as the go-to persons. Yeah, it's in, it's, it's interesting um, because this... Um, Inflation, for example, is kind of concentrated in 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 certain areas. It's relatively relatively narrow in its in its effect, although it has become kind of embedded across the economy. Maybe more so in the U.S. than some other places. But sector sector by sector, it's a different story. So, as you say, you really do need to think about what's the situation for my sector because some sectors are still going to grow and prosper despite. Um, uh, slowdown in the in the economy overall, and even those um, sectors that won't necessarily um, grow or may even shrink, because people have become a little bit more accustomed to accepting price rises, it may be an opportunity not just to slavishly follow that, but maybe you, you do increase your prices, but at the same time you take some initiatives internally to improve your. Um, your efficiency and, and your costs. So you gain uh, a benefit. So either you can simply increase your margin as you as you increase your price, which the customers accept, or you say, okay, well, I'm now this more this bit more efficient. So my prices are going to rise less than the next guy. So I'm now going to get get an advantage. So I think there, there are lots of um lots of opportunities. This thing about cutting people is really interesting. There's been some really uh um uh, after effects uh severe after effects of companies that during covid laid off workers particularly in the aviation industry both uh, at airports and also in airlines so both of those sectors here in europe are having 
almost a meltdown in terms of um, uh, service because they're not able to get the people to uh, to work in the the airports for baggage checking, for example, for um, security checks and also the crews for the airlines. Is that, is that something that's affecting America as well in the, in the airline industry? Well, I'll make a comment in general, not so much airline industry, but yes, it is affecting the airline industry because pilots are not always available. Flights are getting canceled. Uh, crews aren't always available. That's happening. However, even broader than that, I think there's a fundamental issue with how the contract between companies and employees has eroded even further. In the U.S., it started eroding significantly in the early 90s anyway. And because of those broken contracts, people now don't have a sense of loyalty to to a company anymore because the companies do not demonstrate loyalty to the people. So when you've been laid off or something's already happened to you like that, you go away and you think, you know, what do I really want to do? And it may not have anything to do with this. And you may not be as inclined to come back and try that well again, because it went dry on you unexpectedly. So I don't think that industries are thinking about that psychological contract between company and also the worker that's affecting whether people are signing up to come back into the marketplace or not. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Diane, what are you seeing in terms of uh, tactics and strategies to help companies deal with the with the situation? What are they doing? Well, I, I work, uh, Patrick, with manufacturing companies and distributors uh, globally. So I Karen mentioned a few uh, strategies that I would uh, certainly agree with. One I wanted to point out was uh, lately I've been working with clients to model, uh, like she mentioned, utilizing data and making um, you know, better decisions off that data. So one of that, uh, uh, the more recent projects have been centered around profitability, customer and product profitability models. So how do we take our information, whether out of our ERP or however we may have, uh, maybe it's taking it out of people's heads and and confirming and validating the data. Um, But we do spend time to say, okay, what are our top customers, bottom customers, top products, product groupings? Like you mentioned, uh, there there's uh, cash on hand. So how do we better, uh, you know, prepare with equipment purchases and what kind of equipment do we need? So these models do help support that better decision making for you know changes and disruptions that we're that we're all anticipating to happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good point. I was at a at a seminar in Amsterdam in in June, late June, and um, point was being made that. Um, one size fits all supply chains. Uh, really, their their day is past, and too many companies have have tried to do that. So they're over servicing some parts of their customer profile, and they're under servicing others. So the, the 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 argument that was being made is that there are certain um, archetypes of of customers, um, and most companies would have maybe three or four different archetypes, and it's worth designing supply chain solutions, not an infinite number, but maybe three or four uh, supply chain solutions within each business to deal with different um, um, uh, customer archetypes. And they were also making the point that a customer today may behave in one way uh, and be serviced on, on one type of supply chain solution, but for whatever reason, 
they may uh, on occasion behave in a different way or they may migrate permanently to a different way and that you need to have um, the the watchers, if you like, or the feelers to detect that and to respond um, accordingly and 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 deliver the uh, the right solution. And also that while you're doing that on the customer side, you should also be doing it on the supplier side. That there are different archetypes of supplier, and and that works on 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 both sides. Right. Um, Elizabeth, what what are what are you seeing then in terms of um, tactics and um, strategies to to respond i think that uh, our our clients need to diversify their supply chains as much as possible uh, it may raise their costs in the short term but i i think that giving you know trying to be uh, foolproof against inflation is going to really be impossible but if we do some mitigation we can make some wise decisions so, you know, having some vendor diversification, looking at keeping more critical materials on hand um, in, and stockpiling some items that are hypersensitive to in, inflation might help uh, ease those effects of some of the rising prices. Um, so when you're looking at sourcing materials, uh, make sure that you have um, suppliers that you work with on a regular basis. Uh, but also diversify some of that a little bit, um, looking at your demand planning, how you're receiving those materials from suppliers. Um, and then I think one of the, the most important things is to look at your warehousing space. Uh, warehousing, having that brick and mortar space for warehousing is, uh, especially in Southern California, is really, really critical right now because we have very, very little spacing. So sometimes having a third-party logistics provider, a 3PL, um, on call in case you get some warehouse uh, uh, availability would really be helpful if you uh, can can meet some surging demand with having a little bit of extra warehouse space. It's interesting you talk about warehousing because warehousing is one of the core areas that I, I work in and I've and I've done work in the US and I've done work in, in, in Europe. And I notice in American warehouses traditionally, uh, they tend to be lower and, and bigger um, because I guess land prices are probably lower in general than they, than they are in Europe. But the situation where we are now, where there's pressure on warehousing space, I think there's a lot of opportunity, uh, particularly in, in, in America, where there are lots of kind of bog standard warehouses. So they're low, they're big, and they've got um, very conventional type um, racking and materials handling equipment inside. Whereas in, in Europe for a long time, because land has been expensive and labor has been very expensive, there's a lot of automated warehousing. So there's lots of interesting uh, storage and materials handling solutions that can make much better use of the available space by reconverting existing warehouses. So for example, normal, normal racking where you have, you know, one pallet deep this side of the aisle and one pallet deep the other side of the aisle, um, the, 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 the cubic space utilization is, is very low. Whereas there are storage uh, solutions now automated where you can literally have a warehouse totally full 
and it's the automation then that is doing the the, the selection. Now there's lots of different uh, lots of different options, but that's that's probably I think there's a big opportunity in the US for for that particularly, and and if people have have money and you want to invest, now is the time because of it because of inflation. And just on on automation, although in a different space, and I know a space that you're more familiar with, uh, Elizabeth. I, I I read a headline. I didn't read the article, but there's some uh, controversy or arguments going on in West Coast uh, ports in the U.S. about the uh, rollout of implement, implementation in in those ports. Can you say a little bit about that? What's going on there? Sure. We we have labor unions um, all over the U.S., but the West Coast labor unions are are very very strong, and they are a for the most part, opposed to automation because it eliminates those jobs for their members. So it is a struggle. It is something that uh, is always on the table for contract negotiations. Uh, We have a few terminals that are automated, uh, but it is a a, a very divisive uh, topic um, that is always um, a, a, a Mem- uh, it is always in contention when it comes uh, to contract negotiation. So the West Coast, I- I'm not going to make a prediction whether or not there will be more automation. I will just say that it's a challenge. <laughs> I guess inevitably, inevitably there will be more. It's just a matter of how painful the implementation process is and how long it how long it takes. Right. That that is fair to say. You know, one of the one of the issues that we have is that other states are building a lot of warehouses and distribution centers as well. And if they are more friendly to automation and then that reduces costs, then some of that cargo that comes here into California or the West Coast may go to other states just because of the the cost being lower due to automation. So, you know, the the trade-off of jobs and costs uh, is something that uh, we have to take into consideration. Okay, as well, we're just coming into the last minute or two now, so I might just ask each each one of you for a kind of um, what what would be your kind of parting recommendation for for listeners as we look to the second half of twenty twenty two. We'll start with you, Karen. I would say start doing scenario planning now. Think about what you do best and well and how you can succeed in the marketplace, what your customers value, want, and want to purchase at this time. And I would say plan for success, not for failure. Think about what will be successful for you given whatever the market may be in the future. Thanks, Karen. What about you, Diane? What would be your your final recommendation? I I think I would tell uh, manufacturing companies here, don't don't panic, Um, you know, Really, like uh, Karen's saying, do that scenario planning. Uh, maybe that inventory may may be uh, increasing, but think about you know how do you strategically place inventory along your supply chains. And then my second recommendation would be always uh, work on developing your your people internally. Thanks, Diane and uh, Elizabeth. Your your parting recommendation. Boy, those are hard to top. Um, I I certainly agree with my colleagues. Uh, Dr. Karen and and Diane, Um, I think that what I would say is uh, just watch your spending, 
watch your uh, watch your cash flow and and make sure that you have that uh, that diversified supply chain and investing in those critical materials that you need to help you plan for that success uh, that we know is you know coming around the the corner in a year or two. Thank you, Elizabeth, and uh, thanks to all. It's been a pleasure as always, and uh, looking forward to picking up the conversation with you all uh, next month. No doubt there will be plenty to talk about, maybe even some some more surprises. There seems to be a surprise a surprise uh, a week uh, at this stage in, in world affairs. Uh, thanks also to our listeners for tuning in, and you can find the Interlinks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and other platforms. And for any comments or questions, drop me a line on uh, pdaily, P-D-A-L-Y, at alba, A-L-B-A, logistics.com. Uh, And in the meantime, keep well and stay safe.